Welcome to today's issues. Join us for the next hour as we offer a Christian response to the issues of the day. Psalm 119, verse 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. That's God's word, and I think that's a great encouragement as we get into the news and what's going on in the world to remember that the Lord and his word are forever. Hi, welcome to today's issues. Alex McFarland here, so glad you're listening. I'm joined by Chris Woodward and Ray Pritchard, and you are listening to the American Family Radio Network. And uh, guys, uh, you and I had a show prep meeting about an hour and a half ago, and there is a lot going on Indeed. in the world, isn't there, Chris? Yes, very, very much. It's uh, I, I tell people often, if you're not talking about something, uh, you're not doing your job. There's uh, <laughs> no shortage of things to cover. Well, you know, Ray, as, as I started out with that verse, I, I love Psalm 119, that uh, the sum of God's Word endures forever. Isn't it good to know, um, and we're going to dive right into all the news and the noise and uh, all that's going on in the world, but the, the rock of stability in this turbulent life is God and His truth, which is forever. That's, that's encouraging, isn't it? You know, you said the news and the noise. God's Word helps us, doesn't it? It helps us separate the news from the noise. We believe that underneath all the clamor of this world, and there's a ton of it, there is God's eternal Word. And we try to cover the news and bring God's Word to bear on it. So folks, join us for the next 90 minutes. We're glad you're here. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to say before we go too much farther, and Chris, I want to throw to you here in just a moment. Okay. This is such an honor. Um, Many, many times I've been on today's issues with Tim Wildman and uh, Ed Vitagliano and uh, the different, you know, Steve Jordahl, but to participate in the hosting, this is a a first time for me this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and um, Tim is on the road traveling, but I'm just, it is such an honor to be a participant in this uh, voice of news and truth, today's issues, and so it's great to be with you guys, and I'm thankful for it. It well, has we're been glad Yeah. Well, Chris, um, what are some of the top news stories? I know that uh, our president spoke before the U.N. yesterday, yes. met with the prime minister of Great Britain. Uh, there's just so much to talk about. By the way, folks, later in the program, we're going to have attorney Abe Hamilton on, just a, another trusted voice of reason at this time. But let's talk about um, Biden before the U.N. I mean, all in all, uh, Chris, they said that um, we have to show the rest of the world that, quote, America's back. Mm-hmm. Was was Biden's appearance before the U.N. for America's reputation in the world a net positive, or what would you say? Well, I would say uh, it, it's not looking good for him based on the criticism that he is getting, and he is getting a lot, and there is a lot of uh, things to criticize the president for. Um this was the first appearance of President Joe Biden at the U.N. Uh, in, during his uh, time in office. And one of the things that he's really being criticized for is not doing much about China. I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, the president seemingly, uh, well, he spent most of his speech uh, talking about the importance of everybody fighting COVID-19. Uh, and he also uh, spent a lot of time trying to get people on board with fighting what he considers to be man-made climate change. Just to give you an idea of what he spent a lot of his time talking about, 
Uh, we're going to play a montage here of Joe Biden using his U.N. speech to sound the alarm over man-made climate change. Clip one. The scientists and experts are telling us that we're fast approaching a point of no return in a literal sense. In April, I announced the United States will double our public international financing to help developing nations tackle the climate crisis. And today, I'm proud to announce that we'll work with the Congress to double that number again. Together with increased private capital and other, from other donors, we'll be able to meet the goal of mobilizing $100 billion to support climate action in developing nations. Now, so as we just heard there, he spent a lot of time talking about climate change and, as I mentioned, uh, COVID-19. Let's get into some of the reaction here, and then I'll ask you guys what all stands out to you. Um, one of the people really upset with President Biden is Congressman Brian Mast of Florida. He was on Fox and Friends this morning criticizing Joe Biden for not going after China in his U.N. speech. Clip three. The president is absolutely delusional about us not being in a war. He's simply made the war far more dangerous than what it was before, lacking intelligence on the ground in places like Afghanistan, making it a more dangerous region, ignoring the fact that we're in the greatest financial war that we've ever seen with China, but never uttering a word about China in his 34-minute speech to the U.N. General Assembly. And the only thing that he really talked about when it came to border, where we're being invaded in our country right now, was calling the 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 climate crisis, a, a borderless crisis, and, and calling for reasons to let more people in and thinking that giving away more U.S. dollars, funding those in South Central America, Haiti, other places, is actually going to stop that, that invitation to come across our border illegally. He's missing every single war that our nation is in right now. All right, so I mm. threw a lot at you guys, but let's begin. Alex, what do you think about that? Well, l let me just say this. It's no secret that Biden didn't mention China in his um, speech at the U.N. In fact, he's uh, pretty much obstructed attempts to look into the origins of COVID, uh, which would uh, undoubtedly implicate China. And the, de the degree to which the Biden family is financially in the hip pocket of China, uh, I don't know. Only the Lord knows. But there's certainly been incriminating facts circulated so, uh, yeah, he's not going to go before the world stage and critique uh, a country that is definitely a part of his business model. And, you know, there's no question the virus came from China. Now, whether it yeah. was engineered or whether it got out by accident, mm -hmm. yet to be determined. But everybody seems to understand China's where it started. So, as Alex just said, He's not going to talk about that. He's not going to talk about the crisis on the southern border. And I don't even think he mentioned the departure from Afghanistan. Uh, so, really, it's climate change and more government money. But, folks, remember, every time you hear the phrase government money, that's your money. That's taxpayer yeah. money. That's the only place government money can come from. He's talking about spending more of your money in other countries around the world when we're already running a huge deficit. Yeah. And, and, and go ahead. Uh, well, you know, I, I do want to talk about the raising of the debt ceiling, mm -hmm. the, the bringing of, of immigrants in and giving them amnesty and instantaneous services, education and healthcare and things like that. I mean, uh, if you had an employee and you gave them your credit card and you said, look, Go to the store, and here are the things you may buy. Don't spend more. And not only do they run up a bill, they 
blow out your credit rating, and then they call the credit card company and say, by the way, raise my credit rating, uh, that employee would be in trouble. Mm-hmm. But that's what, our, that's what our Congress and government is doing all the time, driving us further in debt. But Chris, go ahead. We'll, we'll get there, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, I was going to mention this. Uh, I think one of the um, w- this issue with uh, Joe Biden is part of the reason why a lot of people are disappointed in his um, handling of uh, the White House uh, responsibilities. I say that because in the news today, uh, USA Today actually had this. Uh, Biden's approval rating is plummeting. Uh, just looking at one poll here, the Des Moines Register, Mediacom, Iowa poll finds 62% of people disapprove of Joe Biden's job performance thus far. Only 31% of people approve, 7% are not sure. So um, taking that 7%, it could be actually a greater percentage of people that disapprove of his job. And uh, one um, party or group that's going after Joe Biden here is uh, the Senate Republicans. Uh, They tweeted a, a graphic out. And it says Biden headaches, and it just has some of the uh, bad things that have happened uh, just in the last few days. You had a, a rebuke from the Senate parliamentarian saying you can't throw immigration reform into the $3.5 trillion uh, reconciliation bill. There's a big dispute with France, one of our longest and greatest allies over a submarine. You certainly have the border crisis at the Texas Bridge. Uh, we had a drone strike kill civilians that we only fessed mm-hmm. up to after days and news reporting by the New York Times of all places. Um, the FDA rejected that booster plan, even though the Biden administration has been telling people to get boosters. Uh, you've got a debt ceiling battle, all kinds of things. And I think that's part of the reason why people are disappointed, because uh, some people didn't like how uh, Donald Trump conducted himself. And certainly he said things inappropriate on Twitter and all that. But Joe Biden is the guy that said, I'm going to be a diplomat. I'm going to bring America back to where it was. He has and said unify time and again, the people. Right, yeah, I'm going to unify the people. It's not red and blue anymore. Now we've got him taking uh, monoclonal antibody treatments away from red states and giving it to more blue states, all kinds of things. And I think that is why a lot of people are upset with Joe Biden as the chief executives, because he said he had a plan. And if this is his plan, it's not working. It's no surprise that the poll numbers across the country are way down. Now, 31%, Chris, I know that's just Iowa, but 31% approval, that's uh, that's abysmally low yes. for the first mm-hmm. year of a president's mm-hmm. presidential term. It just shows you that people, uh, and people were willing to give President Biden a chance, and now we're a few months into it, and it's one crisis, one faux pas, one mistake, and then the catastrophe in Afghanistan compounded by the catastrophe down on the southern border. People have a reason to wonder uh, what's next coming from Joe Biden and his administration because it is just, it seems to me, to be a disaster a week happening now. Right. Yeah, and a lot of bad news still happens on Fridays, uh, as was the case last week when they finally said, yeah, our bad, we killed civilians with that drone strike. Um, talking about Iowa there, a lot of people kind of, you know, you can say, well, it's just Iowa. You know, it's a population of three million some odd people. But Iowa is very important to um, the political landscape of our great nation because it is a, um, a nation that really is first in the presidential sweepstakes, if you want to call it that. You have the Iowa caucuses there. Uh, but then it also um, it's kind of a purple uh, state in terms of Democrats and Republicans. Uh, it's very um, interested in wind energy and ethanol policy, certainly a lot of agriculture policy um, 
comes out of Iowa and is dictated by what Senator Grassley and other people fight for in Congress. So don't dismiss people in Iowa being upset with Joe Biden. They make a big difference in the political environment of the entire nation. And, hey, could we talk for just a minute about, you know, this administration and the president is the uh, uh, the mouthpiece for the policies with varying degrees of effectiveness. Um, I'd like to at one point talk about how they um, cut the feed on um, uh, Biden. Boris Johnson. And, yeah, Boris Johnson. But um, let's talk for a moment about how it seems like every decision, every action, every day is based on political agendas or posturing. Okay, monoclonal antibodies. Mm -hmm. In January of this year, the CDC was saying how that uh, the monoclonal antibodies are very effective in reducing hospitalizations for COVID. Yes. So here, here's um, something that's been used to treat a number of diseases and uh, looks promising with COVID. All right, L let me just say this. I'm gonna cue where I'm going with this, guys. Um, in international affairs, in even in war, there is what uh, scholars call the law of general beneficence. You know, in church, we'll take a benevolent offering. So when you're talking about something benevolent or beneficence, you're talking about you do for the good of a fellow human being. So here's something that is helpful in fighting COVID, keeping people out of the hospital, keeping people alive. And the very idea that this administration would ration or obstruct the um, distribution of the monoclonal antibodies to the red states based on political agenda, uh, I mean, that's inhuman. Now, we, we shouldn't be surprised because this is the, the very same Democrat world that wants no legal protection for the unborn. And, you know, this is kind of the highest ethical litmus test whatsoever. If you will murder helpless babies. I, I mean, I wouldn't put anything past you. But the idea to to obstruct the uh, use of monoclonal, monoclonal antibodies merely because you're a predominantly conservative state by our government, that, that's, that's, I don't, what, heartless, cruel, inhuman, malicious? Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about it yesterday. If you're okay with the killing of an unborn child, you don't have a problem saying you can't have that treatment. It will not bother you one bit. And now, what's sad, you, you, yes. you, you want cutting-edge health care? Capitulate to our progressive Marxist agenda. Then you'll get health care. I mean, that's that's an ultimatum that uh, is worthy of, you know, the mafia. Mm, yes. And, you know, let's go back to uh, the Democratic National Convention. Uh, they spent an entire night, and really the week, but one night they really focused on Biden's Catholic faith and how he prays a lot and— uh, he's been a champion for this and that. Uh, you know, Biden for many years was a supporter of the Hyde Amendment, and that's language that prevents federal yes. tax dollars from funding abortion. And then, in an effort to try to win over some of Bernie Sanders' supporters and those that were voting for other people running for the Democratic uh, nomination last year, Joe Biden decided he was no longer for the Hyde Amendment. And, and just in recent days, you guys may have heard this, we played the audio on the show, um, but Joe Biden said he no longer believes that uh, life begins at conception, which flies in the face of Catholic of, beliefs. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, by the way, I don't know if you remember, but in January of 2020, candidate Biden said, quote, and this is about a 99 percent verbatim quote, but he said there is, quote, no place 
in the Democrat Party for someone who is not pro-choice. Now, now here's the thing. It's very scary, and Ray, I want you to comment on this. When you've got, like, Pelosi and Biden that are Catholics, and one of, one of the great things about the Catholic Church has been their uh, just vigilant defense of natural law. And by the way, I want to bring in a story here in a little bit about the Swiss on the 26th of September are going to vote on same-sex marriage. Uh, but we have been in America and in much of the world stamping out mm-hmm. awareness of morals, erasing the public awareness of morals. Why? Because truth has changed? No. Because we want to be okay with abortion on demand and okay with same-sex marriage, transgenderism, gay adoption. And uh, it, it, it is sad because, look, we're all going to stand before God. I think about a Joe Biden who, like you said, supporting the Hyde Amendment, not going to spend federal money to kill babies, but then flip-flopping merely for, for political expediency. I mean, folks, some things are not for sale, like our soul. Let me <clears throat> let me make two comments here. Number one, I appreciate we all grateful to the Roman Catholic Church, our our friends in the Catholic Church, that the bishops, archbishops, cardinals, so on, and the popes have have consistently reaffirmed the value of unborn human life, and they have led the way with counseling and pregnancy centers, and they have spoken out and thank God for that. So you got a problem of Nancy Pelosi who is pro-choice. Then you've got a real problem of our president who at one time said he was pro-life and maybe, you know, I can't see his heart, God knows, but whatever he was, Alex and Chris, he's not that anymore. He no longer supports the Hyde Amendment. Uh, He no longer believes life begins at conception. He really doesn't think there's a place for pro-life Democrats. I just wonder, you know, we haven't heard much, guys, from the, quote, pro-life evangelicals for Biden. They were so big last fall. Former President Fuller Seminary and other evangelical luminaries who said we just can't go with, with Donald Trump. He's just, he's whatever they he's, said. He's rude. <laughs> he's rude. That's right. He's rude. He didn't play the political game, the mean tweets, and all of that. You know, guys, we have not heard much from pro-life evangelicals for Biden because I don't think they have much to say now that Joe mm-hmm. Biden has, uh, well, Joe Biden has revealed his true colors. Right. He's just come out. He's as pro-choice as anybody else in the Democratic Party, and he happens to be the president. You know, one thing to point out about a lot of presidents that people had uh, questions about um, of any party, uh, generally when that president gets reelected and therefore doesn't have to worry about an, uh, another election unseating him or her, um, they will kind of show their true colors even more. Uh, so right. this may only be, I mean, this may be nothing compared to what, uh, you know, 2024 on to 2028 may be uh, with mm-hmm. the Biden and uh, Harris administration. I will say um, that one thing I think we can expect to see is more of the White House um, protecting uh, Joe Biden and not allowing him to do a lot of back and forth with uh, reporters. Case in point, Alex mentioned this just a minute ago, and many people have probably seen it or heard about it thus far today. Um, Yesterday, U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson, one of our big allies, has always been a big ally, certainly a friend to Donald Trump as well. Uh, Boris Johnson was at the White House, sitting in the Oval Office with Joe Biden, taking questions from reporters. 
And, you know, while the White House has cut Joe Biden off in the past, the White House decided to actually cut Boris Johnson off yesterday in mid-sentence and then kicked all the reporters out of the room. Clip two. Uh, interrupts or uh, unbalances the, the Belfast Good Friday uh, Accords. That's the uh, Belfast Good Friday Agreement. That's, that's the... So they didn't even cut. Joe Biden didn't even speak. They literally cut an ally off and kicked everybody yeah. out. Uh, bad form. This is this is so inappropriate for our treatment of a world leader. And you know, Boris Johnson is in mid sentence. Okay, that's enough. It's over. We're just like Biden's handlers cut the feet on him. You know, I wonder if Boris Johnson said, you know, hey, what do you think? I'm the president of the U.S. You know, just. <laughs> Um, hey, folks, um, not every superpower has a puppet leader that the handlers can switch on and off. And I, I let me just say, and I, I love Great Britain. I'm a big history buff. I've taught World War II history, and I, you know, we're so indebted to Great Britain on so many levels. And I'm, I'm just sorry that... Um, Boris Johnson was treated like that. Yeah, but, America is back, but we're going to be rude to our friends. Exactly. Well, exactly. They, they they wouldn't dare let a question come for our president. They just wouldn't. So the way you solve that problem to protect President Biden from actually having to answer an unscripted question is to cut off Boris Johnson, which is, Alex, as you said, in the least, it's very bad form. You know, there, there's a certain way— and I digress here for just a moment, and I know this is probably going to sound a little esoteric and abstract, but leaders carry themselves a certain way. There's what in military they used to call a command presence. And I don't mean cocky or abrasive, but just you're in charge, you've got a job to do. Um, Biden, and and I'm not saying this because of his age, um, you know, as, as a Christian and as a Southerner, um, I mean, I grew up in a culture where we at least respect our elders, if not revere them. And I, I, I care deeply about older people. I've been around older people my entire life. So I'm not saying this because of Biden's age, but he doesn't carry himself as one who is in charge. His movements are very tentative. He'll, he'll glance left and right. I mean, watch his facial expressions. Clearly, to me... He doesn't carry himself as the leader of America. He carries himself as one very tentative. He has these quizzical looks on his face. He's a man that um, is looking left and right for his cue cards and his controllers. Chris, am I being too critical here? No, no. There's tons of examples. Um, He even at one point uh, told a crowd at the White House maybe two weeks ago, I'm supposed to stop now and walk off. And people yeah. laughed. And I'm not really sure whether or not that was a joke because I've had all these other examples or we've seen all these other examples where he says, I'm going to get in trouble if I take questions. Uh, they've given me a list of people I'm supposed to call on. Someone clearly is control. Listen, if you are the most powerful person on the planet, which is what the president of the United States is, no one has the right to tell you what to say, who to talk to, or when you should stop. You are the president. Act like it. 
This is Today's Issues. You're listening to the American Family Radio Network. You can find uh, the station in your area at AFR.net. We hope you have the mobile device uh, app. But we're going to be back a lot in the news. Ray Pritchard, Chris Woodward, Alex McFarland here. Also, Abe Hamilton, attorney and general counsel for AFR. Stay tuned. We're back after this. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. You know, when Matthew 19, the, the scripture records a Pharisee trying to test Jesus concerning marriage, and Jesus responded, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In the beginning, the first institution God created was the family. Marriage is the centerpiece of family. As a husband and father myself, let me tell you, marriage is absolutely wonderful. And we want to encourage and educate people to embrace God's design as the fundamental building block for all of human civilization and to celebrate the lifelong union of one man and one woman as the objective institution that produces human flourishing. Tune in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. If you're a first responder, you know the right training can make all the difference in a crisis. At Liberty University, we know the right training can make all the difference for your future. So we're proud to offer you a 25% discount on our more than 450 online degree programs. Combine this discount with our generous military benefits if you or your spouse also have military experience. Learn more about getting the right training at Liberty University by texting DEGREE to 49595. That's DEGREE to 49595. Karen Bell of Lake Travis, Texas, was stunned by what she discovered in her child's middle school library, a book filled with sexually graphic material, stuff we cannot even read on the radio. The book is called Out of Darkness, tells the story of two sexually active young people. Mrs. Bell got a copy of the book and signed up to speak at the school board meeting. That's when she read selected copies of the racy novel word by word. In a matter of just under two minutes, she made her point. And the following day, the school removed the pornographic book from the library. Two lessons here, America. First, when good-hearted patriots take a stand, you can make a difference. And second, don't mess with Texas, especially the moms. My new book, by the way, makes a terrific read, Our Daily Biscuit, Devotions with a Drawl, You can get a copy at your favorite bookstore or toddstarns.com. But he saves the poor from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the strong. So the helpless has hope 
and injustice has shut its mouth. American Family Radio. This is today's issues. Email your comments to comments at AFR.net. Past broadcasts of today's issues are available for listening and viewing in the archive at AFR.net. Now, back to more of today's issues. Welcome back to the program. You're listening to Today's Issues on the American Family Radio Network. Ray Pritchard, Chris Woodward, Alex McFarland here. Uh, always exciting and educational and inspirational to hear from Abe Hamilton, attorney and uh, general counsel for the American Family Association. Abe, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, hey, I'm going to throw something out here, and uh, Chris and Ray can chime in. But, um, you know, uh, at a few junctures, Abe, the uh, current administration has um, really run afoul of laws and legal precedents. And uh, back in late August, um, regarding this um, uh, federal eviction moratorium where landlords were allowed to um, evict people after, you know, non-payment of, of rent— uh, Biden kind of brazenly and proudly said, no, he was going to extend the moratorium. And uh, regardless of laws and court decisions, uh, landlords don't have the right to evict non-paying tenants, and he'll back it up. That's just one example I could give. Um, you as an attorney, uh, what, what's your take about um, kind of from the top down our abandonment of the rule of law? Yeah, that, that the example you you highlight is a very good example. I mean, uh, Mr. Biden said that uh, he would extend the eviction moratorium, even though the Supreme Court had just immediately before said it was illegal for him to do so. And yeah. he admitted that when consulting with his very own legal advisors, they told him that what he was trying to do was illegal, but he would do it anyway. And even he even explained his reasoning. He literally said that he would do it anyway because by the time the court had caught up to slap him down for that expansion of what the court had already said was illegal, they would already have a significant amount of people already receiving federal financial assistance. So when you see that type of disdain for the rule of law, it, it shouldn't be surprising uh, that it's employed in other arenas. You know, one of the areas that I've been talking about is the national uh, COVID shot mandates. You know, mm. there is not a shred, not a shred of legal authority that would grant the executive branch of the federal government the wherewithal to force 100 million Americans to inject something into their bodies without their consent. My assertion there is has nothing to do with whether or not you are in favor of the shot, you're opposed to the shot. The question is, does the federal government's executive branch have the lawful authority to do that? And the answer is clearly and unequivocally, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And when we have the executive branch, and a lot of people forget that the root word of executive is execute. The whole purpose of the executive branch's function is to execute, to implement, or to enforce federal law existing federal law not to create it but to enforce exactly. federal law but when you have the executive branch of the federal government uh displaying utter disdain for the rule of law it cuts against the very fabric of its constitutional functioning because you exist hmm. solely to enforce law that is passed by congress you don't create law but you enforce laws that's passed by congress abe what's the difference between a 
the president giving an executive order and the Congress passing a law, if an executive order is not the same as a law, then what real force does it have? Exactly right. It only has the force uh, of those who are willing to comply with it. Because simply put, if you do, you don't have to be a constitutional scholar, a legal scholar to understand this. If you do a brief survey of our constitutions, our constitution articles one, two, and three, they denote the separation of power. Okay. Article one explains the legislative authority that Congress has. You would not be surprised to find that among the discussion of the separation of powers, Article 1 is the longest article in our Constitution concerning federal power. Then you have Article 2, not as long as Article 1, not as short as Article 3. Article 2 describes the executive branch's authority. The executive branch does not have the lawful authority to create law. Our founding fathers, having just fled from and fought a war to cast off the bonds of tyrannical monarchical dictatorial rule said you know we don't want to have another dictatorship we don't want to not have another source of tyrannical government so what we're going to do is separate the powers of the executive branch and then lastly you have article three which describes the judiciary article three creates the united states supreme court constitutionally and grants to congress the authority to create whatever necessary quote inferior courts there may be with this separation of power article one is the longest article article three is the shortest the lawful legislative authority the authority to create law in our country rests in congress any mm -hmm. executive action uh, from the executive branch would only have whatever authority Congress would allow it to have because if hypothetically if an executive mm -hmm. issues an, an executive order that the Congress says wait a minute you can't do that the Congress can simply say pass his own resolution saying this is unlawful <laughs> and the, the executive is acting outside of and beyond the scope of his or eventually maybe her power you know uh, Abe I, back to the years of George W. Bush because uh, W. Uh, set forth his share of ex executive orders. And I had friends that were Christian conservatives that were like, yay. And I'm like, no, this makes me nervous, Republican or Democrat, when really the de facto legislative body becomes the executive orders that emanate from the Oval Office. And they can be just washed away by the next occupant of the Oval Office, as we've seen with many of Trump's executive orders. Uh, but there's another de facto legislative body, and that's called the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, can you help us understand a little bit that the, the Supreme Court has become a legislative engine, and that was not its intended function? Am I correct? You are absolutely correct. This is why uh, Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Number 78 said that, you know, in terms of the federal power, the, the one branch of government that we don't have to worry about usurping the authority of the states or of individual liberties is the, the Supreme Court, because having neither force nor will, it has the least capacity to impact us. Congress, because it has access to the purse, has the opportunity to impact individual liberty and states' liberties. Uh, you have uh, the executive because it has the enforcement responsibilities for congressionally passed statutes. But the Supreme Court's role is literally to serve as an umpire, you know, to call balls and strikes. When have you ever seen a baseball game when the umpire, stop the game, stop the game, let me go and change my uniform <laughs> or keep on my umpire outfit and I'm going to step into the batter's box because umpires are never meant to be a part of the game. And, and this 
fundamental reality of the Supreme Court, as we discussed earlier, this separation of powers. Separation of powers is not synonymous with checks and balances, but the separation of power allows for the checks and balances. So seeing that Congress has the authority or the, the, the Constitution creates the Supreme Court and then grants to Congress the authority to create whatever inferior courts and to determine uh, whether the justices are conducting themselves in consistency with the Constitution and their oath to uphold it and to defend it, Congress also has the authority to spank the Supreme Court, so to speak, to call mm -hmm. them on the carpet when they exceed the bounds of their powers, when they traverse into the legislative arena. Congress is the branch of the federal government that is responsible for being a check and a balance on the Supreme Court. But what we've have happened, and, and I'm not sure I say all the time, darkness is not an affirmative force. It merely reoccupies the space vacated by the light. Well, what we have happening here, an abandonment of legislative power by Congress. And so what has occurred is that the courts have said, oh, so you're not going to tell me I can't keep going. And so what we have, because most people don't even realize Congress hasn't passed re much substantive legislation in well over a decade. <laughs> but what's happening, mm -hmm. Congress is passing, you know, shells of laws and say, oh, the executive branch will fill out all of the details there. And then the courts say, well, we give deference to whatever the executive branch says in their agencies. And so the, the, the court is now making policy. You know, I will mm -hmm. never forget uh, when the state of California was sued concerning its illegal draconian, draconian measures in light of the coronavirus that said churches could not meet in person, nor could they sing in person. Yeah. And the yeah. Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ended up issuing a ruling saying, well, state of California, you can't prevent people from gathering to worship in their churches because we have this thing called the First Amendment. However, you do have the authority to tell people they can't sing in person. What? Mm -hmm. On what basis does the Supreme Court have to determine the melodious output from the gathering <laughs> of the saints? This is absurd. But it continues unfettered because Congress says nothing about it. And in the process, the American populace is conditioned to think the Supreme Court is, in fact, supreme. The reality is, and unfortunately, our children are being taught that the United States of America was created with co-equal branches of government. That actually mm. is not correct. When you look at the division of power in Articles 1, 2, and 3, you'll find we have separation of powers. But the role that the founding fathers intended for these separate powers was not to be equivalent to one another. Yes, a check and a balance, but not equivalent. The most potent policymaking body in the American populace from the national government standpoint is the Congress. That is not co-equality. That is legislative supremacy, if you will. I have a question. Uh, given the fact that we have presidents in recent years including this one, doing a lot of executive orders and sometimes pointing back to a previous administration as doing executive orders and um, things of that sort. Um, match that with President Biden and this mandate for private sector employees uh, to get vaccinated or face regular testing. If that is allowed to stand, Abe, are we looking at a situation where this president or a future president may be able to say, you know what, we're in a crisis uh, of the climate. We have too many uh, obese people in this country. You, you people in the private sector need to cut back on your electricity or you need to make sure that your employers or employees drop a few pounds. You're too fat. Things like that. Are we looking at a situation where something like that could be a very real possibility? You know, I, I hate to say it, but we are. Because if, if, the, if the, the, the president... 
of the United States can get away with forcing private employers to compel their employees to be injected with a substance regardless of their consent or to be tested regularly, then what where are the limits mm-hmm. on executive power? You know, and, and the reality is emergencies, and, and this is what Saul Alinsky opined, that people are far more willing to abandon their liberties in the face of an emergency. That's why you had Rahm Emanuel under the Obama administration saying, well, we never can let a good crisis go to waste. So what you're going to find when you have this this tyrannical endeavor to consistently expand the executive power, do not be surprised when you have events routinely described or redescribed as emergencies. Mm hmm. You, you know, um, I mentioned during our show prep meeting, uh, 76 years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote a book about a future culture and government that was constantly using, quote, emergencies to impose draconian control of the people. And, uh, you know, I mean, here's the perfect storm, folks. Um, school children for several decades have been just coached and drilled to believe that America's bad, America's not good, uh, and... So there's, at best, apathy about America, and at worst, this loathing of America. And yet we, we've had the, great, the greatest country ever. Uh, really, I think America, second only to Israel under King Solomon, two greatest nations in world history. And uh, Abe, I've got to ask you this. What is our hope for recourse to um, get people to not only understand how America works, the genius of America, but actually to care about America. For those of us that really do want this nation to survive till Jesus comes, what, for, for these problems and more, what recourse do we have? Well, and I say this on my show every day, what goes on in your house is far more important than what goes on in the White House. The, mm-hmm. the, the recourse for hope for our country has to begin around our own dinner tables, in our homes, um, a, a, around our fireplaces if we have them, uh, on our couches in our homes. Uh, for far too long, you know, and I, I'll, I'll just say it, uh, we have exported the responsibility of cultivating disciples from our own families. Now, the whole notion of this bifurcation of academic matriculation from spiritual development is an unbiblical concept. It is not supported in Scripture. When the Bible talks about uh, Israel teaching his sons, Joseph and, and Benjamin, all manner of learning, he didn't separate, you know, uh, astronomy from uh, understanding the Decalogue. There was no separation there. And for too long, we have exported um, the responsibility to rear our children to those who don't share our values, frankly. You know, you, you if we here's a perfect example. In the Declaration of Independence, one of the things that isn't discussed so much is that that our founders said that when government has become non-functional, it's no longer serving its purposes, it is the duty, it is the duty of citizens to cast off that government. Now, how often do you expect if we allow our children to be discipled by the government for them to come to the terms of realizing, hey, if the government no longer functions the way it's supposed to be functioning, then you should respond and do something about that. I don't expect, I don't think you should, expect the candy maker to to uh encourage our children to brush their teeth twice a day and to floss (laughs) you know that's a great analogy yeah yeah you know when when the foxes are guarding the hen houses is normally not to the best interest of the hens you get what i'm saying right so what what i am saying the hope uh before i look across the landscape and try to extrapolate some source of hope from a national context i am asking what is happening in my home what is happening in my neighbor's home? And, and one of the things that I, that I have found to be true is that you will never 
uh, let me say it this way. Social media is not an accurate reflection of, um, of America. It's only a microcosm of America, but it does not reflect all of America. And I have great hope uh, because some of these things with these like this vaccine mandate and all these other things are causing a lot of people to wake up, and say, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. You know, when you have uh, the, the people who profess to be those who say we follow the science. And then you have studies that come out that suggest, you know, people who have not contracted the coronavirus, but if they receive one of these injections, they actually could put themselves at greater health risk from the Delta variant. This is not my opinion. There's studies that are saying these things. You have studies out of Israel, for example, that are saying people who have contracted the coronavirus uh, and developed natural immunity by antibodies, they actually could have more potent and durable immunity against the virus well tell me how are you following the science in mandating that everybody take these injections without any consideration for the potential of their antibody levels that they have in their bodies already yeah that is not scientific that is control anchored and so people are stopping and saying wait a minute what is going on here and i think with this overplaying of the hand consistently and routinely is causing many more americans i believe to stop and to think wait a minute we're we're on the wrong course and we may need to have a course correction. Chris, do you have a story? Well, yes, I do. uh, I do have, do we want to transition away to another topic here or whatnot? Well, talking about uh, course correction here, one of the big concerns in our country at the moment is the fact that we are basically driving the, uh, the car off the cliff. It's a cliche or phrase that I, I hate, but it is something uh, we are clearly doing in our country with our debt. Uh, it's a ginormous debt. We'll never be able to pay it off if we don't uh, start doing something now. And one of the big issues in our country has been uh, House Democrats wanting to extend the debt ceiling. This is the every so often argument that we have to increase our borrowing or we're going to have to shut down national parks and you're not going to get checks and all that stuff we hear about on the news. It's back in the news because House Democrats have decided to push this off until December We'll have enough to get us through the start of the fiscal year, which begins October 1st. The big issue now is this goes to the Senate, where you've got 50 Dems and 50 Republicans. And basically, a lot of Republicans are saying, we're not going to agree with Democrats. We're not going to extend the debt ceiling. We need to get our act together. One of those senators is Tom Cotton from Arkansas, and he was on Fox News Channel saying Senate Republicans will not agree with House Dems wanting to extend the debt ceiling. Clip four. We're not going to rescue the Democrats in their efforts to try to implement the largest tax hike in history and spend $6 trillion on things like welfare and health care for illegal aliens or welfare for deadbeats who won't work or even look for work. Um, or tax credits for rich people so they can buy electric cars. If the Democrats want to spend $6 trillion on a party-line basis, then the Democrats can raise the debt ceiling by that much on a party-line basis to cover their own reckless socialist agenda. And right now, it looks like the Democrats are in total disarray, not just on that infrastructure bill or their massive spending blowout, but on the simple act of trying to keep the government funded next week, even though they control the House, the Senate, and the White House. Republicans have cautioned them for two months now that we will not help them implement this reckless $6 trillion spending plan by raising the debt ceiling. It's time that they took it seriously, that they funded the government to keep it open past next week, and that they avoid any kind of default on our debt next month. I have a quick question for Abe. To my knowledge, Abe, and I'm not a lawyer, I did attend mass media law and got three hours credit for my degree, but that's not the same thing. Um, Our government does not require it to get its act together. There's nothing in the Constitution that says the the government has to make sure that we're not in debt, correct? 
Yeah, you're right. That, okay. I mean, that's why there've been many uh, economists and politicians and others who've asked for a balanced budget amendment to be passed in our, in our nation to our constitution, but has never been passed. Yeah. Why do you think that is that the founders did not put it in there? Did they assume that we would not be uh, reckless? This reckless. <laughs> Well, oh, it wasn't an assumption. Uh, the, the founders always intended for the most robust and expansive source of, of government in the lives of American citizens to be the state government. Uh, the founding fathers never considered the potential of having this albatross of a national government the size that it is here, which is why the founding fathers did not allow for the direct taxation of the American citizenry. You know, in order to have any type of largesse in government, it has to have money. The founding fathers envisioned a limited national government, which is why it did not allow for direct taxation of the American citizens. That didn't come until 1913, along with the Federal Reserve Act and in, in the progressive era in terms of constitutional amendments. Hey, let me let me just circle back to something you said, because I don't think I've ever heard it put exactly the way you just put it. Did I hear you rightly? Were you saying that the founders intended that the strongest level of government would be the state governments? Mm-hmm. and that the federal would be lesser. I'm not sure I've ever even heard that. How did we get from that to where we are today? Yes, that is why we have a Tenth Amendment, the Federalism Amendment. Literally, the Tenth Amendment says any powers that have not been expressly delegated to the federal government by this Constitution are hereby reserved to the states. The, the Bill of Rights is not an, an announcement of positive rights. It's actually an announcement on things that the federal government cannot do. When you look at the, the, the brief Constitution, I carry one in my pocket. The founding fathers always intended for the federal government to be uh, de minimis, if you will, in terms of its impact on the mm-hmm. American citizens. The, the, the national government's role was to deal with foreign threats, you know, war, maybe interstate beef between states. But their function was to be limited. That's it. Everything else was supposed to be reserved to the states, but that's been been turned on its head by a, a, a number of different features that have contributed towards it. But when you have uh, when you had the, the amendment of the Constitution to allow for, for example, the direct election of U.S. senators, that was not an original constitution. The, the U.S. Yeah. senators originally were to be elected by state legislatures when you had the amendment to the constitution that allowed for the direct taxation of the American citizenry that completely changes the scope and the prospects of the federal government. Then you have going forward to FDR with his threat to the Supreme court with this court packing scheme. A lot of people forget that the reason why FDR started the court packing scheme is because the Supreme court slammed his, his new deal legislation repeatedly as unconstitutional as unconstitutional after the court packing threat was lodged, the Supreme court on some of the exact same issues turned an about face and we saw we've seen an expansive um, a massive expansion of the federal power combined with citizens who have been conditioned to accept it when i tell people sometimes that you do realize that the 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 irs and the federal income tax has not always existed in america most people look at me with a gape face like what (laughs) exactly and had a hundred let's remember 70 plus years without a federal income tax but most Um, people don't understand that i'm sorry go ahead do do you remember during the discussions about obamacare uh, the question was raised, does the federal government have the constitutional right to require people to buy a product? Because mm-hmm. essentially that's what, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. I and, remember and that it, very It's well. been incremental, but we've, condi- we've been conditioned to believe 
that the branches like the Supreme Court have powers they really don't have. I asked college students, I was just in Mississippi, and we were talking about gay marriage. I said, why, why is gay marriage now legal? And they said, well, because the Supreme Court passed a law. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, the Supreme Court doesn't make laws. Uh, but uh, Abe, I guess my point is we've tolerated things that the founders would have found intolerable, and we've been groomed to not understand the way our great country was designed to work. And again, I want to say, look, only the Bible is the Word of God, but I honestly think our Declaration, Constitution, and Bill of Rights was presided over by the Lord. I mean, it, it has been genius if only we would follow it. No, I, I agree with you in, in, in the genius of our Declaration and our, our Bill of Rights and the Constitution. And, and again, one of the major travesties is that the American populace has been uh, groomed, to use your word, Alex, to endeavor to navigate and interpret the Constitution void of the Declaration of Independence. I mean, the, the Declaration of Preach Independence it. is the, the overarching premises that, that, that is the mission statement, if you will, uh, that the Constitution seeks to implement, that seeks to mm -hmm. implement. Um, it, there, there's so much that has happened. I mean, we can go on and on in discussing how the education of our national populace was one of the things the founders assumed would continue because the only way that we can hold our servant leaders accountable is if we know what they should and should not be doing. But when you have the continuous dumbing down, if you will, of the, 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 the knowledge base of the American populace, we lose the wherewithal to say, wait a minute, you've gone out of bounds. And so that's what we're living right now in a culmination of all of these factors that has us in the posture where you talk to college students when they say, well, the Supreme Court passed the law, not knowing the Supreme Court renders opinions. Then when you find that Justice, former Justice Kennedy's opinion was based solely on his own opinion, considering <laughs> that would have happened in adoption, in the world of adoption, it, it makes me, it makes me incredulous. <laughs> Take us out, Ray. Folks, you're listening to today's issues on American Family Radio. Special thanks to Abe Hamilton for joining us. You can hear him every weekday here on American Family Radio. Thanks to Chris Woodward. Thank Steve you. Jordan will be with us in the next hour. Be back soon, folks. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.